Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome back to What's the Word Downtown. I'm Matt here with Pastor Eric Barton, who delivered a message yesterday mm. that I have some questions oh, about excellent. and I want to talk about. You were probably talked on one of my favorite portions of the gospel, uh, not the gospel I see as announcement, sort of, but the unfurling of who Jesus would become. Yeah. We know that he always was, but we also know to our eyes, the gospels are, a, even though they're a three-year, maybe, but they're a, they're a three-year accounting of what is an what is God coming closer and closer and closer to us, revealing himself, right? So as he goes through each successive phase, first of being a child like we all are, and like you said yesterday, 100% man. Yeah. Okay, we don't get a lot in the childhood, but 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 except the the narrative about when he was 12 and he had to be about his his, uh, father's business and delineate or distinct, he made a distinction between uh, his family of origin and his... Yeah. Forever father. Right. By the spirit. Uh, but then after 12, we don't really see until what, 30? Basically, yeah. Basically 30 years old when he comes into the temple and Mark un- opens up the scroll. Is that kind of, that feels like his, that's when he begins. That's this, the right? inauguration. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week, still okay. in Luke 4. But and, but in Luke 4, uh, so okay, so opening up the scroll, that comes after the temptation? Correct. Perfect. Don't let, Keep me in order because this is very important. The temptation occurs after what? His baptism. So we don't hear much of anything about Jesus from the age of 12. And then what we get in Luke's account and in others is the the heralding by John the Baptist, his cousin, who's saying the one that was foretold, the one that was long awaited, the one that we've been desperate for, he's come, he has come. Repent, rethink your thinking, rethink your thinking. And John, the baptizer, says that the one who is finally going to be the culmination and the recapitulation of all the Old Testament's birth pains, you might say, and all of the, the, the desperation of humanity, he's come. And so then we're, we've already been introduced to Jesus, at least in Luke's telling, through the very familiar birth narrative and all those things. John the Baptist heralds him in. We see that Jesus is baptized, and the different gospel accounts say that Jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It's an interesting expression. Mm-hmm. He enters into our experience, our um, our flesh, literally, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, mm-hmm. into the temptation. But we're told his genealogy, his heritage, that connects him all the way back, not just to Abraham through David, but Luke connects him to Adam, the son, and calls him the son of God. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness for temptation. So... The way you set it up yesterday, you reminded us that Jesus, as the new Adam, was in a way playing out, and playing out seems fun, right? That, well, not nothing like the suffering that he endured in the temptation, right? But essentially acting out the redemption of Israel by taking it into himself. Yeah. So, as Israel was tempted, as Adam and Eve were tempted, so was the Christ. He, right. One author says he plays by his own rules, mm-hmm. right? So 
here he is uh, in the wilderness. It's interesting, they say uh, he fasts for 40 days and then the temptation starts, or was it kind of along the, the way? The way Luke says it yeah. is that it's all during. So it's okay. not necessarily just a point, like, okay, after 40 days, bam, mm-hmm. then temptation, mm-hmm. and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Luke seems to indicate, and we think Luke got his information from Mary. Mm. Don't know that dogmatically, but that's sort Mother of the tradition. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Don't know that dogmatically, but that's the way tradition goes. Mark is probably given all of his information from Peter, Luke, from Mary, we think. Mm-hmm. So all along the way, Jesus is being tempted, and Luke and Matthew categorize it in those sort of three buckets of temptation. Now, Luke changes the order. Matthew has it probably in the correct sequential order. But Luke changes it to reflect 1 John's, possibly. Possibly. It's the same. But ultimately, there are only three things. And we're talking about, by the way, way, we're talking about the temptations that Jesus endured. Correct. And really, those three temptations, so 1 John 2.16 talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how Luke organizes it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's got 1 John 2.16 in mind. Probably not, but it's the same idea. But really, it's one temptation manifesting three ways. Mm. And the temptation is you can have the crown without the cross which is why that is so impactful for all of us, is that's the temptation that always comes to us and at us in different flavors and different manifestations, whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. Those things are always coming at us. You can have, and you're entitled to, because of status, because of position, because of achievement, because of accomplishment, because of identity, whatever, you can have the crown without the cross. And Jesus, as you said, playing by his own rules, says no. Well, and, and, and the interesting thing is, is like, He's being tempted to avoid what to us seems like a bad thing. Right. Right. The temptation to sidestep suffering in life exists without end in the human condition. Right. And most of our sinning, a lot of our sinning, I'm not going to put a stat on because 20% of all stats. (laughs) I'm not going to put a stat on it, but so much of our sinning is our violent avoidance of suffering. Of course. And it splatters Always. as we avoid, as we try to avoid uh, the circumstances that we didn't expect and don't want to have to bear up under. Uh, we try to sidestep whatever present cross exists for us, whatever way that Jesus is functionally saying, pick up your cross and die daily. As we try to sidestep that, uh, we're very much out of kilter with the mm-hmm. Christ who, by denying the temptation to sidestep the cross, actually moves toward it and becomes or becomes something to us that we that we don't realize right at the beginning he's a baby he's in the manger he's you know but now it's like some it's like that the story has begun like the preparation yeah. time is over and I see the and tell me if I'm wrong I see the temptation as preparation but I kind of feel I'm wrong now does that make sense what I'm saying like mm. does the cross, does does Jesus's ministry occur without the temptation? Oh, I don't think so. So there's a yeah. lot of different. That's what aspects. I mean by preparation. Yeah, I, I think the the Spirit of God descends like a dove on Jesus at the baptism, and the Father says, "This is the one with whom I am pleased." Him. So he's declared and affirmed by the Father as the one. Mm-hmm. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a revolutionary. There was a lot of those guys walking around Israel, even in the day of Jesus. Right. And they would rise and they would get a following. And then the Romans would 
literally skin them alive. And then another one would come up and he would say, I am the promised one. And he would rise and he'd get a following and the Romans would kill him mm. and he'd stay dead. And so when Jesus comes in and he tells his disciples, hey, don't be confused. A lot of people are going to say that they're me. They're not. And one of the reasons he can say that is because of what he goes through in the temptation. But not only that, it prepares him for his eternal ministry that's been going on for the last 2,000 years mm -hmm. where he intercedes on our behalf as a sympathetic high priest that he understands temptation better than we do. So it is preparatory Yes, for him to be the king, which is Matthew's point, but also to be the priest, mm -hmm. which we have to have all of those things. Now, one of the things that we have a tendency, at least in the West, to do is to read this passage, either in Matthew 4 or in Mark 1 or in Luke 4, about Jesus' temptation. And we have a tendency to shortcut or short-circuit an application that says, oh, sin's bad, Jesus beat it. You should too. You shouldn't sin anymore. You Try harder. You an example, though. He is an example. Okay. But we never see in the gospel accounts or even in the epistles of the New Testament them saying, hey, be better, stop sinning. Mm. That That's impossible. In other words, what we find about our own existence, our anthropology in the New Testament, and is absolutely affirmed by the Old Testament, mm. is that shin, sin is really not shocking. Mm. We treat it like it's this... Mm horribly unexpected bad thing that we do, and it's horrible. Like it came out of nowhere and right. not right out of but us. But that's our yeah. proclivity. That's our default existence is to sin. And though Christ has come and though we are redeemed, we still have a sin nature. Okay, but this is it. We know that Christ does not have a sin nature. That's But right. he, in the temptation, comes very close to understanding or not very close to understanding, to identifying with our sin nature. That is to say, and you know I've talked about that, the hesychastic yeah. monks and the Russian monks who, and the desert fathers who would say, every man must go out into the desert and vomit up the devil. Right. So you talk about, we call it just a snake. We don't know how he's tempted. But I've always liked the idea of snake, both in the, both in the uh, Adam and Eve uh, narrative. Uh, and and he, I, I still see it metaphorically in uh, the temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 because ideas seem to slither. Sure. And they seem to, to, to kind of come out of nowhere, slowly snaking themselves around until you have decided, that's what I'll do. I'll feed myself. Right. That's what I'll do. I'll impress everybody. Right. That's what I'll do. I'll bend the knee to Satan, but I'll rescue the whole world. So right. you see in, in the temptations... Uh, what is it? Treasure, measure, pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then someone else said, passion, position, possession. Ooh. Treasure, measure, like pleasure, it. passion, position, possession. And the thing about it is, is that we know Satan is exceedingly, unendingly, seemingly uh, uh, persistent. Sure. But he's not creative. Right. He gets no, he gets no stake in the creation game. He does right. not create anything new under the sun. Doesn't have to. He just keeps using the same three right. to get to us in one way or another. And Christ understands that. And it's almost, I don't want to say instructed by Satan. That's not at all. No. But is there something instructive yeah. to Christ happening? That's what I want to know. Sure. Jesus is our example in that he demonstrates, look, you don't try to combat and, and fight against sin. Because all that does is it continues to manifest and re-manifest the idea and the concept in our minds, our hearts, and our souls. 
If I tell you, don't think about a tree, stop thinking about a tree, don't think about a tree. Thinking about a tree so hard right now. Right, of course. And so you don't ever see Jesus just try to combat sin. What you see Jesus is resting in his identity that he's nourished by the very word of God. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, as the enemy misquotes scripture, Jesus, the age old question is, could Jesus have sinned? Which is a really a flawed question. So no, he doesn't have a sin nature. He physically could have sinned. But, but, he would, but not morally. He no more would have sinned than grabbing a potato peeler and jamming it into his eye because yeah. he understands what sin is. We still really don't, but yet we're still not ever commanded to just wage war and fight against sin. You never see Paul doing that in the epistles. Instead, he holds up Jesus. He holds up the glory and the grace and the goodness of God and focus there. It's not focus on your sin and how bad it is and stop that. It's Romans 14 Sin is anything that proceeds apart from faith. Yeah, and so and these are but these are opportunities. The devil is, in a very real sense, maybe not Jesus seeing him, right? We don't know that Jesus saw Satan or that he presented these three options yeah. through through these nefarious ideas that Jesus, nourished by the word, though he's mm-hmm. hungry, uh, Jesus combats uh, these ideas. These pathways to glory that do not involve a cross. I would let's let's nuance it. Rather okay. than saying he combats, he puts them in their place. It's not like there's a frontal collision of ideas. It's look, the temptation to sin is appealing, but in perspective, in contrast and comparison to the glory of God and the obedience that actually makes sense. You might even say formulaically, mathematically, that makes sense. The algebra of mm-hmm. sin versus the goodness and the glory of God, mm-hmm. we don't have that perspective. But don't you kind of have to, like, I like this whole idea of vomiting up the devil, because don't you think Jesus needs to, not that it came out of him, but that he needs to uh, look at it. This is how dark it is. This yeah. is how different it is from the the values and ethics of my father in right. heaven who is without end and gives without end and nourishes without end. So there's a sense of like creating, like calling a thing what it is. Right. And Jesus sees it properly. We don't. Even the good things that Satan apparently somehow shows Jesus, they're good things. I mean, here's the kingdom of the world. You can have it all. That's a good thing. But it's just like in the garden, right? Where she she sees that it's beautiful. Right. She sees that it would, she understands that it would lead to knowledge. And she desires Mm -hmm. to be like God. Right. Right. So all of those three things God wants to give us. Exactly. But in his timing, Correct. at his discretion, not our in action. In his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But we are settlers. Mm. That's our long experience of life is that we tend to settle. Or we might say we shortcut. That's good enough. I'll settle for that. Mm-hmm. God says, no, 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 no. Don't settle. You're going to, and there's grace for that. In this life, you will have trouble and struggle. But we know how it ends is that we're going to get all that we desire and then some Mm -hmm. in God's timing, in his sovereignty, Mm -hmm. because he is God. And I am dangerously unqualified for that job, though I strive for it. You just said, because he is God. How does both temptations start with what word? I noticed you said since you are the son of God. I thought the, the, the translation says if, because that's what he says uh, yeah. Didn't doesn't the, the enemy in in Genesis uh, three says, uh, uh, if no, it starts with the did. 
did God really say? Did God really in Genesis three? He introduces doubt before he before temptation, or he he introduces a level of relativity or right. what? What is you know? He's, well, with the Luke telling, it's pretty clearly in the context that since Satan's trying to get Jesus to presume mm-hmm. on his, like you said, his position, his possession, his role as the Son of God. I mean, it's a good thing. Since you are, you should do these things. And it's like, again, in the third temptation that Luke details, it says, did God really say? Son. It says, if you are. Why is it? Your, I'm, I, it matters. It's, it is, but it's since. But don't you see that the, the enemy would want to introduce doubt, or is that wrong? Or is he saying... That's true. That's not what that text is conveying. I see. So that is true what you're saying, but... Satan is presuming upon Jesus's identity to try to to get him to say, you know what? Yes, to actually act with entitlement, which Jesus never does. Right. To, he could. He should. He's to, entitled. To not a, and, and also to equate or what equality with God a thing to be grasped. Correct. Grasp that equality with God. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It's the similar temptation to what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, in that God's not really going to let you get hurt. Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And so he diminishes the righteousness, the glory, the splendor of God to Adam and Eve, and it works. He tries to do so with Jesus in the wilderness, quoting Psalm 91, mm-hmm. but Jesus will have none of it. So what you're saying absolutely is true, and a lot of our translations will translate it as if. It's a little ambiguous, but what's going Did on there— God and, really say? Right. A slight miss— translation with context of the word of God is a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. So what we see is is at least what Luke is doing. I think similar to Matthew, Luke is saying not only is he the recapitulation of Israel's error, but of all of mankind. He's the man. He is the he is the one, the what Hebrews will call the champion who cares. It's Genesis 15 when uh, Abraham walks through the Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to walk through the bull, right? I mean, the the severed bull, uh, you know, at where Christ makes that co- is that that's the covenant, right? That mm-hmm. if I don't, I'll walk through the bull. It's right. like, it's, may it be done to me as what's been done to this bull. But if you don't, I'll walk through it a second time. Right, right. Happens doesn't happen kind of in a dream or something. It does yeah. Uh, which is where all really big big things seem to seem to happen, where we're totally passive. And God is the only one acting. When we're awake and acting, typically we're getting it wrong, which you know, it leads, <laughs> right. it leads me back to like Peter. When Peter says, may it never be. Right. And what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Right. Why? Because he had heard in the temptation, there's a way around the cross. Correct. And so he identifies that same sentiment in Peter. Absolutely. You're trying to short circuit. You're trying to have... Uh, glory and crown before the cross. Mm-hmm. We think of the cross as horrific, and it is. But if the disciples had understood what Jesus was accomplishing at the cross, they would have cheered. And that sounds macabre. Mm. But what he's doing is effecting their redemption, their eternal regeneration, mm-hmm. and ours and all those that will come after until Jesus returns. The cross was actually the greatest thing in human history. Well, I would say we obviously have less contextual uh, experience uh, with watching people hang on a cross and die. <laughs> definitely Correct. macabre, definitely horrific. I would say, though, that what people are more averse to, more what they find more repugnant, is that the cross means you would never know God. You're too sinful. 
without this instrument yeah. coming into play. So the, there's yeah. a, there's, it's an offensive idea that you are dead in the water and without hope, but for the cross of Christ. There it is. I mean, That's it. That, who, would, who could, unless the Spirit had given you heart and eyes to see that, who would not find, I did, who would not find uh, the cross repugnant? What do they call that? Like divine child abuse or something? Right. Like they always try to tear right. it down and make it something, like bring it down to earth, right? You always have, they always say, bring it down to earth in a way that takes. That's why it's a stumbling block and yeah. offensive, what Paul will say. And he's right. And it does require a, what the, what the Puritans used to call a quickening. Yeah. To see it and to recognize the desperate need that we have for it. And the reason the cross is effectual is begins the process, what we see in the temptation, that he is not just affirmed by the Father, but he is morally, he's morally qualified yeah. to be our Savior, which is also going to be our Lord. It's like I'm going to God and it's going to be a rocket and I'm going to go there by, the, by way of death. You're right. And I'm going to take all your sin and I'm gonna, and on that very same cross, I'm gonna tuck every believer that ever lived or ever will live into me. There's room. And then we're going to God. Yep. But you have to go in me. That's it. You got to get and like Joseph, Arimathea, Nicodemus, you've got to get him on, on you, you mm -hmm. which is repugnant and offensive mm -hmm. and glorious. Mm -hmm. You have to take him in. That's it. Eat That's his it. flesh, drink his blood. Right. Right. Wow. It's a hard, hard teaching. Mm -hmm. Can anyone? Understand it, the disciples asked, and but he didn't want to like the third the third temptation. He didn't want to rule over them. No, no. He, he wants to he wants to exchange hearts. It's a heart transplant. It's not a it's not a, a supreme power differential where he becomes the king that the people always wanted, but not really. No, he's not an emperor. Right. He's not a despot. He's good. Well, and the power to. Uh, obey, the power to love, all that happens internally once he is deposited within us. Right. Right? It's not an external mechanized sort of mechanical growth, right? We're talking about uh, uh, right. organic growth from within. So it's not written on tablets of stone. Mm -hmm. It is written on human hearts that that begins the transformation. And not just for me, but for the people that God places around me and the, the contexts mm -hmm. into which God places mm -hmm. me. It's a way better solution because God is wise and sovereign than simply trying to get people to try harder to be better. That's, that never scales and it never works. Yeah, you know, it's like... Uh... It's like he knew somehow that he needs to go into a zillion pieces. Yeah. That he needs to be broken into a zillion pieces and yet not withholding any bit of himself from each of us. Right. right. Like he, he, he's just been distributed to us. And yet at the same time, we're no longer here. We don't even live, but he lives within us. Yeah. He, I, we say this all the time, but he became all of our worst nightmares in a very real sense so that we could have beyond what we ever dream of. And so we see that inaugurated, initiated here in the temptation that he's going to become and experience and undergo and endure all the things that we never could and, and now never will so that we can have all that we ever dreamed for.
I mean, that's they should write a gospel about that. It's good news. I remember Brenner also was saying that the spirit always leads down mm-hmm. and that Satan always leads up. Right. You see where Satan starts with the rock on the ground and he takes him all the way to the, the height, to the top of the... And that when you find yourself being lifted, you will inevitably find yourself being over oh, other yeah. people. And it's a very precarious it is. Sp- spiritually because how quick we, quickly we puff up or how quickly we believe of ourselves. I would never do that. I'm only a good person. I will only give uh, mercifully and I only right. have altruistic motivations. But ultimately, the spirit is going to be the thing that leads right. you back down. Which a passage like this is, again, just to wrap it up, is yeah. is never intended to make us climb and elevate mm-hmm. and escalate. Mm-hmm. It's to help us to look to Jesus, to love him, period. Live, move, have your being in him. That's it. There must be something for me then meditatively to think through um, whatever temptation, whatever wilderness I find myself in. And you spoke about this yesterday that he'll never give us, he'll never put us in situations where our only option is to sin. Right. Uh, but instead, uh, th- though, we, though we're though we not on the sort of rocky hills of, and I was, it was interesting, in the wilderness, I would, it, it's more oh, yeah. slopey than I realized. It's not even like actually a good flat space to sit down. You know, you're sort of on the side of a mountain on rocks that could it's tumble brutal. at any time. It's really brutal terrain. Uh, but that said, you know, we find ourselves in spaces and places where the terrain is not what we expected, where the right. comfort is way lower, where the where the uh, potential outcomes uh, f- scare us, uh, we find ourselves um, hungry, and what and f- how we feel sometimes far from God. Right. Uh, this this meditating on Christ's time in the wilderness is there's a participation. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that. Christ having uh, that, that 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 our going through wildernesses are spiritually efficacious, though they they probably are. But what I what I was saying is that um, his time in the wilderness is a gift to us in our time. Sure, in wildernesses, and that's sure. what I guess that's where I want to kind of land the plane today. Is man, we spend so much time and effort trying to avoid wilderness experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all through Scripture, Old and New Testament, even when you get into Revelation, the wilderness is where God woos his people. Mm. We try to avoid it. We like comfort. We disdain uh, discomfort and inconvenience. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's grace for that, too. Mm -hmm. But the wilderness is where God woos his people. In Israel's time, in the wilderness, they rebelled. They clenched their fists. So they got stiff-necked and angry. And yet God was wooing them. Moses tells them, God's brought you out here so that you will understand how much he loves you, so that you will understand how much you need him. Jesus brought into the wilderness, passes that test, we might say. And so, yes, we go through smaller subset seasons of wilderness. And what the word of God is telling us, what the example of Christ is showing us, is that, hey, those times are not to be avoided. We're going to have proper perspective and recognize this is where God's wooing me. He loves me. He knows me. He sees me. And God, God gives you songs in the ditches. That's right. You know. That's right. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is good. Next good week's stuff. plan. Still being Luke four. We're going to talk about right. the inauguration of his ministry and how it's uh, not so well received. Nice. Look forward to that. We'll see you Sunday at ten o'clock. God bless.
Bye now.